We're happy to have this episode sponsored by Real Mushrooms. You probably already know about some of the great benefits of adding mushrooms to your diet, like better sleep, greater mental clarity, and a stronger immune system, but not all mushroom products are equal. Real Mushrooms is the real deal. Many mushroom companies harvest the mushroom and the grain it's growing on. Real Mushrooms products contain no grains or starch fillers. They're organic, cultivated naturally, and third-party verified for beta-glucans, the compound that makes them so valuable as a supplement. They even have a science and medical team of doctors who ensure that Real Mushrooms meets the highest standards. What I personally love is how informative their website is. Have questions about what mushroom is right for you? They have a robust blog with articles ranging from women's health to what mushrooms are most beneficial to your pet. Want to boost your immune system? Have better sleep and feel more calm? Grab the link in the show notes and get 25% off of your first order. Curiously enough, acupuncture is not just sticking needles into people. It's part of a coherent and observation-based medicine that experienced practitioners of the art have handed down over the centuries. I'm Michael Max, your host and guide of Everyday Acupuncture. Listen in as we explore how you can apply the principles of this ancient medicine in your everyday life. Welcome to Everyday Acupuncture. I'm your guest host today, Ian Kreditch. I have some questions for Michael, your normal host, about herbs, um, Chinese herbs. And um, I've been a patient of Michael for, I guess it's been over a year now. And um, Michael's really helped me improve my health. And uh, I've always been kind of curious about these herbs and uh, have some questions. So that's going to be the show for today. And I'm so glad you're here asking the questions because you are so not alone in this. I have people asking me all the time. I mean, this is this. These are I suspect the questions that you've got are the questions that I actually answer in clinic all the time because they're really good questions that us Westerners have about Chinese herbs, which by and large most of us don't know anything about. So, yeah, let's roll this thing. All right. So, probably one of the the first. We'll start easy. So, what do you feel like? Are, are conditions that are most successfully treated with, with herbs in your practice? It's a good question. And I would say much like Chinese medicine itself, there's lots of different conditions that respond well to the herbs. Uh, and the reason that I say that is because the herbs in, in Chinese medicine itself, it's not so much specifically looking at one disease category or a particular illness or pathology for that matter, it's really looking at both the state of a person's health, whatever illness has come in, and the strengths that that person has, as as well as the various deficiencies that are uh, coming about because of their condition. So lots of issues can respond to Chinese herbs. Now, in my clinical practice, and this is this is probably based on this. These are the kinds of cases that I tend to see the most. I would say digestive disorders, allergies, asthma, various respiratory disorders, women's health. So that's anything from uh, irregular periods, painful periods, to infertility. Many musculoskeletal issues, uh, things that you you know we would classically say are um, arthritis, that kind of thing. Uh, very helpful. 
headaches, uh, migraines in particular, very helpful with Europe. So those are the things that I tend to see the most. Okay. So um, let's kind of dive into what what are these herbs and and what are they made of? Because this is one of the things I've always kind of been curious about. As far as um, are they mostly plant based? Are they are the how much animal products are in there? Are there any minerals in it? You know what what are these? Yeah, what, what just what is in these right. things? Right. So first of all, I think it's really important to let our listeners know that it's very rare that your Chinese medicine practitioner is going to give you one single herb. We generally put them together uh, traditionally. They've been used as formulas. Right, so a little bit of this for that, a little bit of something else for something else. It's it's more like listening to a quartet than it is a, a solo performer in a sense. Unlike Western medicine, where you're looking for that one magic molecule that's going to change something, we are actually looking at using you could almost say a team approach to dealing with people's health issues. And so, when we use herbs, we generally use formulas, and I would say that, by and large, they are plant material. So they're leaves, twigs, bark, rhizomes, roots, uh, sometimes flowers, flower buds, seeds. Many of them are are sort of food grade, in a sense. Now, there are minerals that get used. It's less common, but, but we do use them. Sometimes there are animal products. That tends to be more rare. And there's also issues with that. You know, there's endangered species and in the humane treatment of animals that that all fits into that. We can get into that later if you want. But sometimes those are used. And when we, you know, when we say, and you know, how do I say this? This question really touches on something else that I just want to jump into for a moment, which is this classic thing of so often your food is your medicine. So. While we're here to talk about herbs, I want to remind the listeners that anything that you put into your system is going to have an effect on your physiology. So it's not just the medicines you take. It's the things you eat or sometimes the things you don't eat that you should. Right. So I I think that's a a good way to jump into um, another question. So think of them almost like food. Many of them. Not all of them. Not all of them. But so are there organic herbs are there you know what what should we be thinking about when we're choosing i mean or what do you think about when you choose herbs or a brand or or how do you go about getting your herbs or yeah this is a huge concern this is a really big concern because you know it's very common that right now over in china uh the amount of pollution is just nightmarish and so of course you're going to wonder if if your herbs have they been grown in polluted areas? Are they using pesticides? How safe are these things? Right? I think that's the big question that a lot of folks have. Are they safe? And that is my primary concern as a practitioner in, in giving herbs to my patients is are these things safe? So a couple things about that. Number one, if you're using raw, loose, bulk herbs, so in other words, you go to your practitioner and they send you home with a baggie full of what looks like something that got raked out of the backyard, okay? Those can come from any number of sources. Uh, There's a number of companies in particular uh, here in the United States, and and some in Europe too, to my understanding. I'm, I'm less familiar with that situation. But certainly here in the United States, there are a number of companies that pay a lot of attention to this stuff. So there are some 
organic herbs that are on the market. Of course, those come at a premium. They're not as readily available. And the folks that run those businesses, the, the people that I know, they're very up on making sure that they're getting this from a clean supply chain. And you'll pay a premium for it. And in my opinion, it's, you know, it's really worth it. There's other places, you know, if you go to, say, to Chinatown and you're just buying herbs, you know, over the counter down there, no telling where that stuff comes from, right? So I'm not saying, I'm not saying don't go to Chinatown. I'm saying whatever your sources are, know your sources. Now, in addition to the organic issue, there's the pesticide issue. And again, the companies that are really reputable, they will test the herbs in lots as they come into the country. And if they find any pesticide, well, actually, there's certain levels of pesticide residues. And I believe the European standards are much more stringent than the American standards, probably not surprisingly. And so you want to look for companies that are very stringent in their testing and in the levels that they choose to let through in terms of what they'll sell. All right. Yeah, I, I think that definitely gives people um, an, a better understanding. Are there any standards or, or official regulatory, you know, agencies that that you could look to? Like this has its stamp of approval on, on certain herbs. You know? Right. So as far as the organic standards are concerned, and I'm, I'm not completely up on this. There are you there are United States standards and then there are some European standards and so really you'd want to talk to whoever is importing the herbs and ask them what standards that that they're adhering to in terms of pesticide residue what's allowable what's not allowable uh, again there's different standards in different places and you would need to talk to the companies about that I want to backtrack for just a moment here. I was talking about the raw herbs, the loose bulk herbs. Now, there's other ways that herbs come. They can come in pill form, and they can come in powder form. Now, the powdered herbs are made over in Asia, uh, either in to some degree in Japan, not as much. Uh, much more of it, at least the stuff I use, comes from Taiwan, and there's companies on the mainland that do it too. And what this process is, is they bring the herbs in, and if it's a formula, they'll actually put all the herbs together for that formula, and then they cook it down into a, into a concentrate and then powderize it. So it's really handy because it helps with compliance, right? Otherwise, you got to take home this bag of bark and you got to cook it up. And, it, you know, it takes time and it smells and it's messy. And, you know, the nice thing about the powders is you throw them in some warm water, you stir it, you drink it. It's really fast. Now, the companies that I'm familiar with in Taiwan adhere to some pretty high standards. The Taiwanese have, have really dialed this herb industry in and have pretty good standards. They test the herbs uh, for pesticides and, and all that stuff, other contaminants, before they get cooked. They're very strict in their cooking process. They test again after it's been cooked to make sure that there's no contaminants that have entered uh, in the process. So in terms of safety, I really like the powdered herbs. And in terms of convenience, I really like the powdered herbs as well. So um, we'll kind of switch it up, get into um, how do you go about treating vegetarian or, or vegan um, patients? I mean, that seems probably pretty common given, you know, people who are Vegans or vegetarians might be apt to try acupuncture and might be interested in herbs. So, absolutely, how does that work? 
the vast majority of the formulations are plant-based materials. 90 some odd percent, maybe more, are plant-based materials. So in, in terms of working with people that are vegan or vegetarian, it's really not an issue. So would you say, is there like a, a label that says, hey, this, this has some animal-based product? I mean, how, as you as a practitioner, how would you know what's in, ah, you know? Well, that's because I've studied the herbal formulas. So, so I know what herbs go into a formula and... You know, I know that I'll know if there's minerals in it or, or I'll know if there's animal parts in it. Or even on occasion, we use bugs, which okay. is kind of an interesting yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. Of course, we don't want the uh, vegans or vegetarians to eat those either. Right. Yeah, really, any qualified practitioner, anyone who's really studied Chinese herbal medicine, it's just in their knowledge base to know what has animal products and what doesn't. Okay. Yeah, that's and it's interesting it, versus, um, you know, um, say your your doctor probably doesn't quite know what's in your pills as far as exactly where they come from. Your conventional doctor would know nothing yeah. about it. You know, yeah, they haven't yeah. studied it. Right. I mean, they they come about not knowing anything about it because, you know, very good reasons. It's just it's not in their ballywag. It's not what they do. The same way that I can't tell you all the side effects of a. Uh, of a particular pharmaceutical or, or how a particular pharmaceutical might be helpful for someone. Say if, if I have a allergy to shellfish or, or something, or even a plant, um, or peanuts or something, I don't know what's in, you know, herbs, but, but say I have an allergy, how, how, how do you, do you ever run into that with your patients as far as sure, that goes? Of course. Yeah. And as you mentioned, seafood allergies in particular, those kinds of folks, I probably am not going to be using the shells with them, right? We do use some minerals, some shells, and, and those I wouldn't use. Again, I think it's really like talking to any practitioner. You let them know what your sensitivities are, and because they've studied and because they're competent in their field of study, they should know what they're able to give you and, and what they shouldn't be giving you. All right, so let, let's kind of dive into this this other maybe maybe darker side of of chinese herbs at least what you you might say um you know it makes the news so there's a lot of news about um rhino horn or um you know just various coaching and all, all these things that you know you you see on tv uh, right you know the, the the bear um gall um bile from their right. gallbladders this kind of thing right yeah what are your thoughts on that i mean you said earlier that majority of your your herbs don't have animal products mm -hmm. so wh what are your thoughts on that yeah so uh, the majority of herbs don't have animal products these traditionally used animal products rhinoceros horn the bear bile from their gallbladders uh, there's other sorts of animal parts that sometimes get used uh, these are done you know these are used traditionally and uh, how do I say this? There's a cultural aspect to this, right? So there's people that believe this thing is really important or it's really potent. Or sometimes there's certain herbs over in China. There's a, there's a saying about certain really rare herbs that the people who buy it don't eat it and the people that eat it don't buy it. Meaning sometimes you'll go curry favor with somebody and you'll give them this really 
precious sort of medicinal. In terms of everyday kinds of medicine, with the practitioners that I know, and certainly for myself as well, any sort of animal product that is causing suffering to the animal, any sort of animal product from endangered species, they're just off limits. In this day and age, there's so many other ways of treating things. I just don't think that you need to use these particular substances. And rightly so, they're illegal in this country, and they're illegal in, um, over in Europe as well. And I think it's a problem that, that people still use them. All right. So one question, uh, curiosity I've always had is um, you say don't take these herbs if you get a cold. Well, why is that? Yeah. So there's a couple reasons for that. The first one is if you have a cold, you want to be taking herbs that treat colds. Let's, let's say, for example, you're usually on a formula to help uh, build up your blood, for example. And when you get a cold, you don't need to be building up your blood. You need to be getting the pathogen out of your system. So that requires a different set of herbs. So in that scenario, it's simply not helpful. Now, in other scenarios, it can actually make a cold worse. And why is that? Again, if we're looking to build or tonify somebody, maybe they're kind of weak, and you get a cold. When you get a cold, there's some, there's some bug, there's some virus, there's some pathogen that's in your system. These herbs that are tonifying herbs, they can't distinguish between your normal life process and the normal life process of some pathogenic invader. And so it's possible that you would actually tonify and make stronger the pathogen. So especially for certain formulas, it could make the cold worse. It could make it last longer. It could make it more virulent. So you don't want to take those when you've got a cold. It's either, again, it'll harm you in that way. And at the very best, it's just not a formula that's going to be useful at that particular time. So it would, would your advice maybe to come come see you have a cold and uh, get a get a different formula for the yes. cold? Yeah. And and the time to come see me or, or someone who works like me, you know, another Chinese medicine practitioner, is at the very, very beginning stages. If you come in with a full-blown cold, you know, really, when you've got a full-blown cold or flu, you're feverish, you're achy, stay home. <laughs> but at the very beginning, when you're first getting that scratchy, sore throat, when you first get that, that feeling in the back of your neck like, oh, you know, I'm a little headachy, I'm a little chilled, that's the time to go get treated. You want to catch it at the very beginning. That first thought that you have that, oh, maybe I'm getting sick, that's the time to catch it. Because if you catch it then, especially with some acupuncture, you can often avert it or have a milder case. And again, like, like you mentioned, you can get the herbs switched up to match your condition at that point. It's the difference between being sick for two days as opposed to two weeks. I hope you've enjoyed the first half of the show. Now it's time for a word from our sponsor. That would be you. Actually, you could indeed sponsor a show here for a nominal fee and have your billboard on the internet sandwiched into the show. Send along an email for details on that. Or you could support the effort here by popping over to everydayacupuncturepodcast.com and click on the link to support the show and leave a few dollars that will help to keep some inspiration in the teacup. You know, 
We run on only the finest oolong and poorer teas here at Everyday Acupuncture Podcast Central. No point in going all NPR pledge drive here to remind you that teas like that don't come cheaply. Just know that if you like the show, you can express your appreciation for these interviews with a small donation. As always, I love to get your feedback and ideas for future shows, so send those along too. Thanks again for listening, and now on to the second half of the show. One thing I think that might be helpful to other people, and maybe it's something that I kind of struggled with, is would you have any advice for people for just getting into the routine or just just taking these herbs? I feel like for me, that was really a struggle to uh, get into this habit, get in this mode of of mixing up these herbs and, and taking them. Maybe I I don't take that many pills, so you know maybe that's it would be a struggle even if it was if I was popping a pill. But, but do you forget to take pills? When probably. You need to take yeah, them? yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But there is also the, uh, you know, the aspect of, of having to, you know, mix things, these things up and, and, you know. Yeah. So a couple things about that. Uh, and one thing that you didn't mention that I think gets in the way for a lot of people is these things don't taste very good. I mean, on a good day, they're unpleasant. Right. And often they're really bitter where they just, they just taste like, well... I was going to say they taste like dirt, but I think dirt probably tastes better than most herb, I, I herbal formulas. I think my, my wife uh, came up with the uh, term monkey poo tea. There we go. So, <laughs> A, because we, we, you know, you, you don't know what's in it. It could be monkey poo. It could be. <laughs> probably not. But, probably uh, not. You know, probably I not. I don't think monkey poo is no. in the Materia Medica. No. There are some other pretty interesting substances that we will right. sometimes use, but... Um, Monkey poo, to my understanding, is not there. As to taking them, once you get beyond the taste, I, I think it's really just a matter of you just have to do it. So if you went to a conventional doc and they said, here's an antibiotic, and you have to take this three times a day, most people are just going to take the dang pill, right? right. So to some degree, it's, it's just a matter of taking your health seriously, by taking your herbs regularly. It's, it's just a mindset that you have to take. Now, in terms of it being inconvenient, um, I'm going to get in my soapbox here for a moment and say uh, inconvenient. Well, inconvenient is when I give you a bag of herbs and you have to go home and cook it for an hour and a half, right? And then you got to keep the liquid refrigerated and you got to, you know, schlep that stuff around. These powders are really simple. Right, a little bit of warm water. You put it in, stir, stir, stir down the hatch. It takes about thirty seconds, if you think about it, maybe a minute at the most. So I think it's more mindset for the patient of just going, I just need to do this. The powders are super portable, right? You can keep them in your in your briefcase. You can keep them in your purse. You can get an extra little bottle from your practitioner. Keep some in your glove box. I mean, water's everywhere, right? So, really, when people say it's inconvenient, I think they need to just re-examine what's important for them. Just take your stinking herbs. <laughs> so, um, do you have any issues being in the Midwest here with convincing people to take herbs? Do, do you feel like there's pushback when, when people come to you and, and you say, take these these Chinese herbs. Yeah. Um, it's a good question. And I, there sometimes is pushback. 
sometimes people, you know, they've, they've seen the news, they've got ideas about, you know, what these herbs are um, or what they're not, and, and they just don't want to do it. It's just, it's just a little too freaky for them. And, and I get that. I respect that. I would say, though, that in my practice, the majority of my patients do take herbs. And the reason that they do is because they really are looking to get better. And generally speaking, the Chinese medicine clinic is not their first stop on this shopping tour. It's usually, you know, third or fourth, maybe even, you know, beyond that. And so people are willing to give things a go. They've tried other things. The other things haven't worked or the other things have sometimes made them worse. And a lot of folks are willing to give it a try. So with with that kind of train of thought, let, let's talk about um, what do you think would be some of the, the better, um, say somebody's taking a, a, you know, Western pharmaceutical for a condition. Are there any conditions or, or, or substitutes that you feel like, like Chinese medicine is a far better choice than it's pharmaceutical counterpart you might say everything but you know are, are are there certain things that you say this is this is a much better choice yes i would okay so there's a there's a few uh, first i would say digestive wise there's a lot of folks that are taking these proton pump inhibitors right prilosec nexium these kinds of things and they're taking them because they've had certain digestive issues and the story goes, you've got too much acid in your stomach. Well, from my perspective, you don't have too much acid in your stomach. You're supposed to have acid in your stomach. This is how you digest your food. The problem is, is you've got acid in places besides your stomach. And so reducing the stomach acid is actually reducing your ability to digest. And in fact, there's studies that show Long-term use of these proton pump inhibitors cause mineral deficiencies in people. And why do they do this? Because you're not extracting the minerals the way that you could out of your food because you don't have enough stomach acid. So the goal here is not to have less stomach acid. The goal here is to have plenty of stomach acid, an appropriate amount of stomach acid, and have it in your stomach where it's supposed to be. Chinese herbs can be really helpful with things like acid reflux, heartburn, uh, ulcers, all kinds of digestive issues where they would prescribe a proton pump inhibitor, we can use herbs. And they respond really quickly. A lot of people respond really quickly with these digestive issues. And so that's one area that I think is really helpful. Another one is women's health. Periods that are painful, irregular periods, lots of menstrual issues can be treated with Chinese herbs in a way that resolve the issue. Now, with Western conventional medicine, they'll usually just put women on the pill. And that's not because they want um, to protect them from pregnancy. It's because those synthetic hormones will force the body in, into a certain state. I'm not going to say it's a state of balance. It's actually a state of imbalance. It will cover up. It will force the period to come at a more regular time but it doesn't actually get at why the period isn't working properly in the first place. And the Chinese herbs can be really helpful with that. Why is this useful? It's especially useful if a woman, you know, especially teenagers, I mean, their bodies are still developing. If you put them on the pill at that age, 
in an attempt to just regulate the period. Years later, when they come off the pill and they want to get pregnant, the issue that they've been dealing with all these years that's been lying smoldering under, under this um, synthetic hormone tide, that problem comes back, right? Because it actually never left. And so these are the women that later we see want to help them get pregnant. We've got to first work on their period. So, I, you know, from my point of view, get it done early on, right? And, and use these natural substances to help the body find its own balance. The body wants to be in balance. It just needs help sometimes. So those, those are two areas I think are really helpful. Certainly people with super severe asthma are probably going to need some sort of rescue inhalers and things like that. That being said, there are things that uh, we can do with herbs that are very helpful to the respiratory system. It usually takes longer to turn those kinds of problems around, but with, with ongoing treatment, people can rely less and less on some of these Western pharmaceuticals. Again, I, you know, I don't want to make the point here that herbs are always better than pharmaceuticals, but there's lots of places where you can just you can actually help your body learn how to take care of its problems on its own, and yeah. herbs are really supportive right. that way. Yeah, that's that's been my experience. So when it comes to taking prescription medication, pharmaceuticals with herbs, do you find there's any interactions or or anything? that can be an issue as, as far as that goes? There can be. There are certain pharmaceuticals, for example, some of the blood thinners that are extremely sensitive. And, and you have to be careful with herbs when you're treating people that are on things like warfarin or coumadin. Uh, but again, people on warfarin or coumadin, they have to be careful about the foods they eat, right? Um, because those, those uh, the levels in the blood are, you know, they're very, very sensitive. By and large, when I'm working with people, and they've been on a pharmaceutical, you know, maybe it's one of the uh, SSRIs, or maybe you know, maybe it is the Nexium, or you know, one of the proton pump inhibitors. Often, I'll have them start on the herbs. The herbs help to shift the physiology, and then they can start weaning down off of the pharmaceuticals. Now, I'm not a medical doctor, and so I don't give advice on weaning off of pharmaceuticals. And I don't even tell people that they should. It's usually people coming to me going, I want to make this change here. And I'm helping them with the change that they want to make. I, I want our listeners to know I think it's really important that if you're on some sort of a prescription medication, it's a really good idea to talk to your doctor. Let them know what you're doing. Let them know that you're working with these other methods. Now, I know that some docs are really unhappy about that. And I have a number of patients that just aren't willing to talk to their doctors about it. And I, and I respect that. I get it. Uh, still, I think it's really important that if you're going to change your pharmaceutical um, prescriptions and such, that you make sure that you do it safely. And you're going to need some help from a, a qualified professional for that. Yeah, I, I think it's it's hard for, you know, from personal experience to maybe approach your doctor and say, hey, I'm, I, you know, when they ask you, are, are you on any medications or, you know, do you bring up Hey, I'm taking these herbs, and I, I think you know some people. It it is maybe hard to say, hey, yeah, actually I am, and and you know I don't really know what it is because you know they want to know the name, perhaps, or or you know, you know, it's it's a difficult thing to do. Yeah, it is, and you know it's interesting. People often, well, I mean, here we are talking about herbs, and often people ask me, you know, what's in them, how do they work, 
you know, this sort of thing. And those are good questions. Those are really valid questions. Uh, or sometimes people say, well, you know, why should I take it? I don't know what it does. Well, the truth of the matter is when you think about it, most people don't know what pharmaceutical medication does either, right? We, we take it based on faith that someone who is schooled and experienced um, and understands this stuff is, is helping us by prescribing something that they think will help us. Most of us don't really understand pharmaceutical medication. One of the things that was really eye-opening for me when I was in Chinese medicine school was looking through a thing, well, back in that day, it was called uh, like the nurse's, nurse's Guide to Prescription Drugs or something like that. It was a little bit like the, like the doctor's version, except instead of looking at all this biochemistry, they would talk about the indications for the, for the medication. They would talk about possible side effects. They would talk about how the stuff was metabolized. What was mind-blowing to me is the number of pharmaceutical, these are FDA-approved medications, right? They know the pathway that it's metabolized through, but they don't know why it does what it does, right? When it's like, you know, action, how this works, they'll often say unknown, Right? They don't know why the drug works the way it does. They know that it does, but they don't know the exact mechanism for it. With Chinese medicines, people have been looking at and thinking about these things for thousands of years. And so we've got an idea of why we're using something, why it works the way it does. And if we're going to use it, we pretty much have an idea of why and how it works. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, how do you, do you ever run into side effects with herbs? Do, do you ever, you know, warn people, hey, this might be a side effect of taking this? Like, you know, obviously, generally when you take a pharmaceutical, that's one of the things your doctor, or at least they should, tell you, hey, this is a side effect of, of taking this. Do you ever have that same? Right. Generally speaking, I would say that Chinese medicines are side effect free generally speaking. Now, sometimes because we're ingesting things that we haven't ingested before, it may throw the digestion off for a couple of days. And if that happens, I'm not too concerned. It's just the body getting used to it. Where I tend to see issues is where herbs have been prescribed incorrectly. So, and, and people do this for themselves too sometimes, right? And, and don't even know it. So let me give you one example of, well, we talked about this a little while ago, that when you've got a cold, you don't want to take tonifying herbs, right? So I, I'm guilty of this. This is prior to studying Chinese medicine. I remember if I got a cold, I think, oh, man, I'm sick. I, you know, I should, take, I should take some tonics. I should take ginseng or something. Well, that was exactly the wrong thing to take, right? I mean, I didn't help myself back then. So... You want to make sure you're taking the right herbs for the right reasons. Coming back to side effects, generally speaking, I would say no. But if you've incorrectly prescribed an herb or if you've incorrectly prescribed a formulation, then it can sometimes make things worse. Usually it's a matter of misprescription than it is of side effect. Interesting. As a practitioner, it would be kind of interesting to know how do you kind of gauge whether an herb is working for a patient? Would, I mean, sometimes that's hard to 
I, as a patient, that's a hard thing to figure out. So what, as a practitioner, where do you kind of stand on how, how do you figure out, is this working for this person or, or how do you determine, well, I need to change their formula Right. And this is one of the really interesting things for me about Chinese herbs is that as I'm working with someone, the formula will change as their health condition changes. Right. Because when they first come to see me, they're in they're in whatever state they're in. I'm not going to give them an herb and that's just the herb that's going to take them all the way through the journey that whatever prescription I give them is going to take them to the next step. As they get better, the herbs shift to match where they are at that time. So there, there's that piece. How do I know if someone's getting better? There's a couple indications. One, we look at the tongue in Chinese medicine. The tongue is a really helpful barometer of the body. It tells us something about a person, the state of their blood, uh, their fluid metabolism, their digestion, whether they've got inflammation. There's, there's a number of factors that the tongue points out. And so let's say I've got somebody coming in because they've got anxiety. Most folks with anxiety will have a red-tipped tongue, and if they're really anxious, and especially if they're not sleeping well, it's not just red, but there'll be these red spots at the tip of the tongue. So one of the things that I can very easily look at is what, how's the tip of their tongue? If I'm giving them some, med, uh, some herbs to help with anxiety, and I notice that the tongue is coming back to a nice pink color at the tip, I'm, I'm pretty sure that those herbs are working. Now... I always check in with the patient because I want to know what their experience is. So it, it's a combination for me of the things that I see and feel, right? I feel the pulses. I look at the tongues. And then listening to what a patient says about their own experience because really that's kind of the gold standard right there. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Three weeks ago you were waking five times a night, right? Are you sleeping through the night now? Things like that. All right. Well, I, th- I think we've covered a lot, um, kind of all over the place, but that's that's kind of the way the, the, the herbs kind of, they, they cover a lot. So uh, they, yeah. they do cover a lot. And in fact, while here in the United States, we usually think of acupuncture as being Chinese medicine and herbs is this kind of side piece. Over in Asia, there are practitioners, all they do is herbal medicine. I mean, they may know a smattering of acupuncture um, or they may not. I mean, all they do is herbs. And so this is a medicine that's been practiced for thousands of years. And, you know, even today, uh, there are folks that rely on it as their primary medicine and, and way of dealing with things. All right. Well, I thank you for taking the time, Michael, to answer these questions. It's been definitely, I've learned some things that are, I, I, I definitely think are, are helpful to, uh, as a patient to, to know, and, and I have maybe a, a little bit better uh, appreciation for, for herbs and definitely for, I, uh, one thing I, I think as a patient, you know, we probably should, um, maybe take into account a little bit more how exactly how much training and how much knowledge y- you have of making these formulas. Mm. You know, this, I'm glad you bring this up. This is a really important point. Uh, so I'm going to take a moment and speak to that. In terms of training, first of all, this is basically an unregulated thing here in the United States. So anybody could say, I practice Chinese herbal medicine. They may or may not have much training. You don't need a license to do this. 
Okay, you need a license to do acupuncture, but you don't need a license to do herbal medicine. That's a whole different discussion. We're not going to get into it. Under the scope of practice in most states for acupuncturists, we're allowed to practice herbal medicine. That doesn't mean that we know a lot about herbal medicine just because it's in our scope of practice. So there are some folks, they study acupuncture for three years, and maybe they've got a few weekend courses in herbal medicine. And, and they don't even use, they don't use the powders. Maybe they just use the, um, maybe they just use like little tablets, right, which, which tend to be a lot weaker. I think it's really important that if you plan to use Chinese herbal medicine, that you really check in with your practitioner and you find out the level of training that they've got. There are some folks that study herbs for years as part of their acupuncture education. There are folks that study nothing but acupuncture. There's other folks like myself. I studied it in school and then I spent a few years in Asia and that it's mainly what I was studying was the herbal medicine. And, and, and there's plenty of people out there that spend that extra time and really dig deeply into the herbs. But just because someone's an acupuncturist, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're an experienced herbalist. And so I think it's really important that if you're going to use this as part of your medicine, you know, ask your practitioner, what's your training? What's your experience? How long have you studied this? Have you treated people with herbs that have a condition similar to mine? Or what have your results been? I mean, I think these are really good questions to ask a, a potential practitioner. And, you know, help you to better understand the training that they have. And also then you can be more comfortable with the treatment that you're receiving. So have this conversation with your practitioner. Have this conversation <laughs> with your practitioner. I, I think it's a good idea. Okay. I really do. Yeah. yeah. And thank you for swinging by the clinic today and, uh, and having this conversation. Like I say, I, I, I have these conversations every day with people that come in because these are really good questions and they're really important questions. So I hope that our listeners have found this to be helpful. And, uh, and I'm really glad that, that you've come in to do this because now when people come and ask me questions about herbs, I can just refer them to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for coming by. Thank you, Michael. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of Everyday Acupuncture Podcast. If so, please take a moment and visit www.everydayacupuncturepodcast.com where you can click on the review on iTunes button to rate and review the show. Doing this helps other people to find the show. Also, you can express your appreciation by supporting the show with a donation. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in again next time.